The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. my friends and welcome to this another episode of the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris and joining me as always on this week seven preview show it's john daigle it's hayden winks and it is patrick darty gentlemen how are we doing looking forward to this we were talking about it it's like an up and down mixed bag of slate maybe expecting at least vegas is some lower totals this week than normal daigle there are four key matchups we will discuss in depth for fantasy. Otherwise, though, the older football crowd will enjoy the Titans-Steelers game because they're going to try and establish it despite probably failing at that. And yeah, uh, it's kind of all over the board. Well, I agree with you. We're getting more and more divisional matchups. We are getting some bad quarterback play. I think things, hopefully by now, after a lot of teams have played six games, um, we have some truths to it. Let's put it that way. Uh the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get going, I do want to remind you that we'll be here once again, serving all of you on Rotor World Live, served by Applebee's. That is noon Eastern on Twitch, on YouTube, on Periscope. 
um, 45 minutes leading up to kickoff, just answering your start and sit questions as I continue to take John Daigle's lunch each and every week. Let's get into it, gentlemen. Let's start off with the Detroit Lions going to the Atlanta Falcons, two and three Lions, one and five Falcons, total of 55. So a big fantasy matchup here. We saw a smash spot for Matthew Stafford last week. At least that's what he had hoped against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nope, didn't happen. Hayden, we mentioned this before we started. There should be a smash spot for Matthew Stafford again against this Falcons defense. But have we lost all faith here in Matthew Stafford? Yeah, the Falcons are 31st in passing EPA defense. They're dead last against fantasy quarterbacks. So this is kind of a make it or break it week for Matthew Stafford. I was hoping last week a fully healthy Kenny Galladay would help out. I was hoping that maybe Marvin Jones can come alive. Neither of those things really happened. So I think this is like our last week of trusting Matthew Stafford as like a top 15 fantasy quarterback because the matchup is so good. But if he fails here, then I I really do think it's time to panic. If you watch him on tape, he's kind of airmailing some passes more than usual. I mean, last year we saw like perfect accuracy Matthew Stafford paired with high average depth of target Matthew Stafford. We're kind of seeing the ADOT go up again, but we're seeing the accuracy kind of come down to like how he was playing a couple years ago compared to last year when he was balling out. I assume that was the game plan all along last week because the Lions had 16 plays within one score of the Jaguars and ran the ball 12 times to four passes on those plays. And the Falcons defense is actually allowing under four yards per carry to opposing running backs and just two touchdowns all year. Whereas their secondary, as Hayden mentioned, has been atrocious, allowing nearly 50 more fantasy points than the next closest secondary at the position. So if there were ever a time for Stafford to finally emerge, it is this game. And then if he doesn't after this game, that's when we cut the cord. Yeah, I mean, it's you go six games uh, into a season and like this era of passing football without a 300-yard game, uh, that's a huge red flag. And like John said, I mean, this should have been better last week. There really are no excuses, but I mean, it obviously the Lions game plan was to run the ball. <clears throat> they at least got another, in theory, they got another passing game threat established uh, for Matthew Stafford because if DeAndre Swift is more involved in the ground and he's in the game more, can catch more passes, be a dynamic check down target and something Matthew Stafford might need with Marvin Jones, uh, maybe looking a little over the hill. Uh, they kind of talked about trying to get Marvin Jones going this week. So that'll be an interesting storyline to follow. Uh, the, the Falcons tough on the ground, but we know they they bleed those running back receptions too. But it's this it's now or never for Matthew Stafford because he's had some alibis. You know, Kenny Galladay took several weeks to get to full health. Uh, they've had some weird game scripts, but you know, we're almost halfway through the season, and we need we need a three hundred yard game, Matt. We we need our points. Final thought here with Stafford. I was texting with Eric Stoner this week, friend of the show, and he brought up a good theory that the reason why we're not getting 2019 Matthew Stafford and Daryl Bevel is because Matthew Stafford broke his freaking back last year. And it's the second time in his career. And I mean, do the lions really want to set up Matthew Stafford for those opportunities once again, for a third time in his career? Probably not. So that's probably why they've, you know, reined it in, gotten a little more conservative, but you mentioned another name, Pat, and it's Deandre Swift. A lot of people who drafted DeAndre Swift probably hope for that type of point total more often this season. It came last week on like less than 40% of the snaps, Hayden. What would you tell the people who are trying to have a repeat performance or want a repeat performance against another very good matchup here with DeAndre Swift? What's your faith level in playing him? Well, I think you said it. He's only going to be splitting snaps right now until it's proven otherwise. I think that we can all agree that DeAndre Swift should be the bell cow back. He does so much 
as a runner and a receiver. So we can hope that happens. And the matchup is okay as a pass catching back here, not a, a pure running back. So I think that he's on like the RB two, three borderline. I will be ranking him ahead of Adrian Peterson for the, like basically the first time this season, just because I'm, I think Swift will end up getting some more work, but I can't guarantee that. So I think for now we have to keep him around like RB 25. We can never assume rational coaching with the Lions. The Falcons have allowed 46 running back receptions, the second most in the NFL. So hopefully that's kind of like a door for DeAndre Swift to walk through this week. Daigle, we've, we've waited this long to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, and I think it's because their offense is so defined. And it's a totally different team, obviously, when Julio Jones is involved, like he was last week. And we saw him come back from injury and look absolutely dominant. I guess there's no interesting plays here on the Falcons in unless you have interesting theories about them against this Lions team, which I'm not going to say, especially their number, their top five cornerback in Jeff Okuda. He hasn't played well at all this season. Matt Ryan is living and dying with Julio, a top eight quarterback in all three games that Julio has played, and he did not finish inside the top 23 in the three games that Julio was injured or missed altogether. And Calvin Ridley in that span, the wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and wide receiver 10 on the entire week, a top wide receiver overall in all three games that Julio was available for. So you have faith in the Falcons offense through the air with those two players in particular, if Julio's healthy, which he is since he practiced on Thursday. And if he isn't, you bail. And we now know that seven games in six games in two games at full health for Julio Jones, 17 catches for 294 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. Still good at football. I think that's obvious to say. Um, Before we move on to the next game, a better host would have said this at the top. The Colts, Dolphins, Vikings, and Ravens are on a bye this week. So get all of those players out of your lineups. All right. We move on to the 4-2 and Cleveland Browns. Three-point favorites here in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals, who, as we know, are 1-4-1. and Hayden, these teams already played each other in week two, already at that point in this NFL calendar. The Browns were coming off. An awful week one, a major loss to the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns then won 35 to 30. Joe Burrow attempted 61 passes in that game compared to Baker Mayfield's 23. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt combined for 210 rushing yards. Vegas must be expecting something different based on just the spread of of only three points. Yeah, I don't want to speak for Daigle here, but this has upset of the week written all over it just because the Browns are so banged up. Uh, Jarvis Landry's not only playing through his hip injury, that's kind of sidelined him for basically this entire season, but he also has a rib injury. Uh, Wyatt Teller, their offensive guard, was the number one PFF graded guard. He's still sidelined. Uh, we've seen Baker Mayfield not play well at all. So I think that there's a chance that the Bengals actually just win this game outright. Um, The only person I'm very confident about for the Browns right now is Kareem Hunt. I think Odell Beckham is kind of trending towards like wide receiver three, boom, bust wide receiver three, just because Baker's been playing so bad this year. My concern with the Bengals upsetting the Browns is that Kareem Hunt, as you mentioned, should be able to do whatever he wants. Not only has he handled the past two games, 65 and 71% of of Cleveland's backfield touches, but that is actually untapped because he's been hurt or had to rest for cramping in the fourth quarter of both those games in tough matchups against the Colts and Steelers. And now gets a Bengals front seven that was already atrocious, but we have Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap getting quote unquote rest from practice since they're upset with the entire organization and team. So I actually like Hunt 
and the Browns offense, maybe not even anyone else but Hunt, to still get the job done over 21 points here in a win. I mean, Hunt should finally be deliver on like t- his top five destiny this week. Even in the tough matchups, I was on, I was ranking him as a high end RB one just because I thought of how well the run game was designed, and we know that Kareem Hunt has is that kind of player has did that already in Kansas City, and he just didn't do it in the two tough matchups. But the Bengals, yeah, basically as soft as it gets on the ground, and there should finally be a, a correction uh, blow up spot for Kareem Hunt. My sirens are going off here, and it's not the train passing, because this is a defensive line of the Browns that is going to be a nightmare for the offensive line for the Bengals. And whenever I do this, this is why Joe Mixon leads the bus column this week. It's the formula. And we saw him have a great game. It was against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it's because like those matchups are not like a complete disadvantage for this Bengals offensive line. Almost every single other one is going to be. And then especially when you have a talented defensive end like Miles Garrett, who's probably playing like a top five defender in the NFL right now. And then you have the rotation that they have on the interior with rookies and Sean Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi. I'm I'm very scared for what Joe Burrow showed against the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm not saying, obviously, that this Browns secondary, which, you know, has probably not lived up to the hype that people were expecting, especially the picks and everything invested into it. But that front four could wreak havoc on this Bengals offensive line and Joe Burrow in this game. And that's why, Pat, I am curious where you have A.J. Green, because now people have been sucked back in after all those slants last week. And so everyone's going to wonder, is he a wide receiver three? Was that a faux performance? Yeah, it's one game. Basically. I mean, it's better than having one good game is better than having zero good games, that's which true. had been the case for A.J. Green before last week. But I still have him ranked as the third Bengals receiver. I've got T. Higgins. So, you know, it's very, uh, very good news for T. Higgins that like as A.J. Green revived last week, T. Higgins still managed to have the, his best game of his rookie season, his first 100-yard game. So I've got T. the top. I still have Tyler Boyd, even though Tyler Boyd, you know, hasn't really been kind of giving us like that slot goodness. I mean, not that he's been like bad, but – I feel like his floor has probably been a little lower than we were expecting just because of how it seems like every other week, basically the Bengals passing attack kind of goes off the rails because of pressure. But yeah, AJ green, uh, he's back in the wide receiver four mix. Like he's in like that wide receiver 38 to 44 range, basically. Whereas I've got T on like the two, three borderline and still have Tyler Boyd ranked as like a solid wide receiver three. You can check out those rankings up on the site. And now they're in four columns just for all of you out there. <laughs> By the way, the Bengals have played in so many close games this season. I think even last season as well. Three of their four losses this year, one score games. Once again, Vegas is expecting this one to be with a three-point spread. Um, and the Browns simply can't get stuffed on fourth and one last week like they did because this is supposed to be a run-oriented team and you can't just get off the field in those formats. All right, gents, let's move on. Green Bay Packers, Houston Texans, massive, massive total. 57, four and one Packers coming off their loss to the Bucks, And the Houston Texans are one and five after their narrow defeat to the Houston Texans. Daigle, I am a bit stunned. This game is only three and a half. I mean, what can we take from Green Bay's first loss of the season last week? And is it enough for them to only be three and a half point favorites here? For the record, I like the Packers in this spot a lot, but we are going to find out. And you have to ask yourself if betting them, are they content, are they pretenders that rode the first month of the season against a easier schedule and then ran into what perhaps is the league's best defense and completely disappeared? 
Or was that a blip on the radar? The Bucs have a superior defense, and thus now the Packers bounce back and perform like they did in that first stretch. I think it's the latter. Uh, the Texans' defense still offer no fight at all, and the Texans' offense has carried their weight the past two games since the regime change. But provided context, remember that was against the Jags without four of their top defenders and playmakers, and the Titans, whose secondary still ranks bottom eight in deep pass defense DVOA. Now it is a much tougher matchup against the Packers secondary. So in my opinion, the Packers either roll or the Texans upset them, and we have to rethink the Packers as a whole this year. The question is the Packers' defense. It's been kind of doing the bend but not break thing, and they've been underperforming, especially in the secondary, and generating very little pressure. Maybe that's just like a regression thing. A front seven anchored by Zadarius Smith I mean, should generate pressure at some point, but that is the big question mark this week because, like you said, the Texans' offense has been playing better. The Texans' defense I mean, might be the worst in the league. They just gave up 600 yards to the Tennessee Titans, which it's a good offense, but you should not be giving up shouldn't be giving up 600 yards to anybody and giving up 600 yards to the Tennessee Titans is very unideal. And the Packers offense, you know, too, last week, kind of like the growing pains of working to Devonte Adams back in the offense, the Packers offense will be rolling this week. It's kind of like, this is like gut check time for the Packers defense. Daigle, any yep. strong feelings about this one? At least to me, I mean, this is the one that stood out and we're in a pretty good role here with these feelings that I get here on, on Thursday afternoons. Uh, the Packers are going to easily cover that three and a half. I mean, I, I'm not going to say they're going to be, you know, one of the top teams, in the NFC, but I absolutely believe that this Houston Texans team, unless, and he almost did it last week against the, the Titans, Deshaun Watson just is able to put this one completely on their back. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers completely vomits all over the field. Like he did last week in that 10 0 um, they were up against the Bucks through pick six and another interception right after that. I just don't see that happening. And, and I, I see the Packers easily covering this three and a half. Well, the good news for fantasy players is that you are not benching Deshaun Watson anyway, anyhow because he can still get done. And since the regime changed the past two games, Brandon Cooks has led the team with a 29% target share, but Will Fuller has still hung around on 26% of the team targets. And that's where the ball is going. Like Darren Fales is being sprinkled in, and we continue talking about him with Jordan Akins out because, again, we don't know where else to go with the tight end landscape. And so we can run him back if Jordan Akins is out again. But this is still a shallow target tree, honestly. And David Johnson, you can make him a usage-based low-end RB2 if you want, but that's not how the team is going to win the game by David Johnson, who has right. only looked good against the Jaguars and Chiefs, unsurprisingly, this year. So, yeah, uh, you're still playing your Texans guys, and fortunately, there's really no other third receiver on that team you're worried about. I will say the Packers are allowing the most running back fantasy points. So David Johnson, fellas, uh, but what a depressing but very accurate. When you said you can run back Darren Fells, I mean, it's, unfortunately that is true. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, man, I, my last rant on this, he played a perfect game last week, like almost yep. literally a perfect game, and they still lost. The question everyone has about DFS is Aaron Jones and like Aaron Jones, my God, you don't even, you do not even worry about what happened last week against the bucks. I mean, this is the most ultimate eruption spot, man. I'm terrified for the Texans defense. All right, let's move on. And by the way, Hayden might've started his weekend early. I'm sure he'll join us here in a little bit, but uh, he just wanted to, you know, take a little break and I'm sure he'll come back with us. In Got just another a wedding. Carolina Panthers, New Orleans saints, saints favorite at home, seven and a half. Uh, they're three and two Panthers, three and three total of 51 in this game. We know the saints are coming off their 
by, I believe. Is that correct? They are. Correct. Yeah, they are. Yes. Uh, and so we had Michael Thomas miss a game or a couple due to injury. Then we had Michael Thomas surprisingly missed due to suspension because he punched his teammate. That would never happen here at Ritterworld.com. <laughs> and then in that span, Emmanuel Sanders was the wide receiver nine overall in fantasy usage. Now, Pat, I'm sure that this means we have to completely eliminate Emmanuel Sanders from our memory, which stinks for those who have been playing him in these difficult times on fantasy football. And Michael Thomas immediately, like, where is he in your rankings? Probably a top 12 wide receiver. He is. I mean, it's it's weird because they, Sean Payton still hasn't fully committed to him playing this week. I mean, we're almost positive he's going to play. He seemed guaranteed to play in week five before the suspension. But yeah, you put Michael Thomas immediately back into the top eight, I'd say, even though he had a bad week one before he got hurt. He got hurt at the very end of that game against the Bucks. But you put Mike Thomas just a little bit below where he usually is. Emmanuel Sanders, you do just kind of have to like memory hole that one because there's this strange stuff going on in the, the Saints receiver core, like a pass catching group. Because Jared Cook, you know, he's been like had three targets in like back to back games, uh, even without Michael Thomas. Like, sort of feels like the center can't hold there. Like, he has to get more looks and will get more looks. And that's another thing uh, working against Emmanuel Sanders. Um, and, you know, Alvin Kamara, too, will not go anywhere as a pass catcher. And Traquan Smith, I guess, is Traquan Smith canceled? You know, I was hoping that he would take this and run with this during Michael Thomas's absence, and he did like one game, but I guess he's just faded to complete irrelevance. But yeah, Emmanuel Sanders now is like the wide receiver, like 48 to 54 range. So, so not like totally out of the picture, but like basically like a very low upside wide receiver four. It's a shame Hayden isn't around to hear about the upset of the week because it gets a little frisky this week because the Saints defense has allowed at least 27 points in their past four games. And everyone points to Janoris Jenkins and Marshawn Lattimore being out. First of all, Lattimore was only out one of those games. And in the other three contests, they allowed over eight yards per attempt to Rodgers and Derek Carr and then allowed Justin Herbert to rear back and flip the field on every throw for four touchdowns. 13 touchdowns allowed to one pick in that four-game stretch. And also, Lattimore hasn't even been good this year. 15 receptions on 19 targets. The Saints' defense remains one of the units we have to attack in fantasy football. You're not worried about the Bears' defense and Teddy Bridgewater's performance last week because, of course, the Bears had allowed the least fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. They're still a nightmarish matchup on defense despite what their offense continues to show. So I love the Panthers' offense, and I love Teddy Bridgewater in this game. Wow. Do you really? I mean, I do I know this. I know this Saints defense maybe might not be up to like the caliber of respect that it tries to get every single offseason with like little flashy moves. <laughs> but Daigle, they're they're number six overall in defensive DVOA, number uh, number 15 against the pass, number four against the run. The Bears defense, yes, is is better than this defense that the Panthers are, are facing. And I, I love what Teddy Bridgewater has done this year. I think the Panthers are a great surprise here at three and three. I love that Joe Brady knows, you know, what this defense offers, what the offense offers as well. You know, he, he's going back to where he started his NFL career. But I just I, I, I think that this Panthers defense has significantly outperformed. And in order, in order for them to win outright against the Panthers. And I guess that's what you're alluding to, or at least cover the seven and a half. They're going to have to get some very key stops in the second half in the fourth quarter in this game. And I just do not trust them enough to do that at this moment. 
I got to jump in because first off, I'm glad John gave us that spiel because I was going to bring this up because before their bye week, you were trashing the pan, rightfully so, trashing the Saints' defense on like a weekly basis. And I was going to ask you how you felt about them coming off their bye because they were showing small signs of improvement for the bye, and now they've had a bye week to game plan for Teddy Bridgewater. And speaking to your like your larger landscape point, Josh, about this game. The, the Panthers' pass defense has really overachieved. They're still yeah. very bad on the ground, and they've kind of been – they're not – you know, they're allowing, like, those short passes, which is, of course, what the Saints want to do. Man, um, so this is a strange game for me. But so, John, yeah, I was very I'm, – uh, I'm intrigued that you're still all out on the Saints' defense. Yes, I am still all out. Uh, I, buys, remember, Hayden has tweeted about this, and I even have in my notes to ask Hayden about this. Of course, he's not here right now, so we have to move on. Hey, Hayden has in the past tweeted about bye weeks being overrated and teams actually underperforming because the extended rest is bad, whereas logically you would think it's good. Uh, so Hayden, since you're back now, do you recall the Saints after the bye? And I'm not talking about last week. Or last year, because remember, last year, Sean Payton had his bachelor party, and then they showed up in Tampa Bay, and they just failed miserably. They were all hungover. It was such a bad game. They scored under 10 points. But historically, I believe the Saints have been poor after the bye. I really appreciate what you're doing, David. I tried to buy time. You, I, I can, I absolutely can read what you're saying. Yeah. Now there are like two Hayden Winks in here. Um, <laughs> well, not, see, look, at the bottom there are two, and then now, see, it's... He's all, I think he's also on a delay now. So one last time, Hayden, it might be good to like go back out and then go back in, but we'll move on. We'll just keep it going. I think cool. he's okay. First of all, I've already bet to be clear the Panthers to cover the seven and a half. That's too much, way too much. Um, the upset of the week though is fun for everyone on the pod. So I will call the outright for the pod and take my L. The upset of the okay. week is three and three right now, but I do think there's a sneaky chance it comes down to the final possession. H- how about, how about we move the line slightly, Daigle? And I say like five. Okay, I'll give you five points with the Panthers and I'll yeah, still take the Saints and then we'll make that we'll make that lunch bet. Yeah, I'm down. With I it. gotta be honest. I think the Saints are going to cover seven and a half. But that I, I do, too. <laughs> I, don't, I do, too. I, don't. I really don't. But, I really don't. Though. But did you see how I just moved it just a little bit? So then that's a, big, that's a three and a half point move. Josh Vegas, two and a half, I guess. Two I like the mind games between you two. I mean, one of us has a full belly working on the show. <laughs> and the other one has an empty wallet. Let's move on. <laughs> The Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Oh, what a perfect game for Hayden Winks to return for us. The Buffalo Bills are four and two, 13 point favorites in this game with a 45 spread. Hayden, this is the perfect game for the Bills to get back into goodness with Josh Allen, with Stefan Diggs, with Devin Singletary, so on and so forth after losing two in a row. Yep, this is where Josh Allen has to get back on the MVP train if he is going to be a legit MVP <laughs> candidate. Um, of course, I think they're going to be in a good spot. They project for 29 in a quarter points this week. So yeah, jam them all in. The only thing I'm kind of tracking here is John Brown and his injury. He hasn't been the same since going down. He still is, he still is on the practice report. So um, I would make sure that he gets in a full practice before treating him as like a wide receiver three again. Josh Allen finishes a top five quarterback in Buffalo's first four games. And then in two terrible spots, in a Tuesday and Monday night contest, he finishes the QB 15 and QB 17. And I have to ask resident Roto World Josh Allen hater, Patrick Darty what he thought <laughs> about Monday night. But I would say, Josh, uh, Josh Allen didn't even play bad, right? Like there were multiple drops that John Brown and Stephon Diggs should have had if it were not for weather um, and other instances. So I, I think Josh Allen is back to being a top five option this week. Neither quarterback played great in those conditions, but Josh Allen did – it's just disappointing because it's not like he played terribly, 
but it was kind of a return to Josh Allen last year. The, the booth, you know, multiple times. Troy Aikman was like, how did he miss that throw? And Troy Aikman basically seems like he was like me. Like he was like going on podcasts, radio shows all summer and truthing Josh Allen. Like he kind of can't accept that Josh Allen is actually good now. Like he's having trouble coming to terms with MVP uh, candidate Josh Allen. But even with the bad conditions, even against a really tough pass defense, he did miss a few easy throws. And see, these are tough matchups. You're not going to smash every week. But like if Josh Allen is truly a different player, you can't he completed under 60% of his passes over the past two weeks and he averaged 5.66 yards per attempt. Like you're gonna have bad games, but you just to, it's it is a troubling sign that in back-to-back kind of tougher matchups, tougher spots, uh he kind of reverted more to 2019 Josh Allen. And by no means am I like saying, Oh, see, obviously Josh Allen's bad. And I was right to talk bad about him every podcast this summer, but I just wish that yeah, he could have uh continued to flip the narrative and just uh, yeah i think that this is just what we're gonna get like a four or five game sample whatever it was before this week with Allen, was just a small sample size and i'm not saying he hasn't shown more than he has in previous years but it's still a roller coaster and we're not even like a full 16 game sample is tiny when we talk about statistics when, when we talk about analytics and then when you just whittle it down to five games what are we doing here right now it's great. Like we can all buy in and you know, th- there were definitely things Pat that were different. I think Brian Dayball's improved. I think adding Stefan Diggs has, has been fantastic, but it always goes back to this. And this is a fast forwarding a little bit, which two, three, four game stretch are you going to get from Josh Allen when it really matters? Like when he reaches the playoffs, like, can you get once again, four straight games of spectacular plays against some of the best defenses in the NFL, which you're going to have to do to win the Super Bowl. And that's still the question I always go back to. And I, I don't think we have that answer yet. It's I still don't. Yeah, it's a great – I will say is a, a non-Josh Allen hating point. The difference so far has been, you know, last year he didn't really have any spiked weeks last year. He was kind of like a weirdly not a spiked week player. And like a difference this year is that he was smashing – those really good matchups. And he did that sometimes in the past, but he did not do it every time. And that he cashed in four pretty good matchups in a row. That is the difference for Josh Allen. But yeah, still too inconsistent. Hayden, we know that this Bills defense has really been bad this year in comparison, at least to what they have been in the past. Other than Jamison Crowder, does that pique your interest in any player wearing green this weekend? Rashad Perriman had like wide receiver two usage last week in his debut, but He's still like a boom bust wide receiver for you. Can't really trust anybody outside of Jameson Crowder, who has a 33% target share, averaging 11 targets per week. Uh, Buffalo has been kind of lit up by his slot receivers as well. So I think Jameson Crowder is still like a PPR wide receiver two, maybe a wide receiver three in standards, standard formats. But outside of that, I have no interest at all. Yeah. And then Perryman, as soon as he made his debut, found himself on the injury report this week heading into practice. So uh, that's not good timing. All right. We move on to the battle of five and O's, the Pittsburgh Steelers are one-point underdogs on the road against the Tennessee Titans, a total of 50-and-a-half. Daigle, Deontay Johnson, is he back? And if so, how will the usage and, and targets fall out that in his absence we have seen Chase Claypool explode and we saw Juju Smith-Schuster account for, what, 10 yards last week? 
Unpopular opinion alert. I still have Deontay Johnson ranked over Chase Claypool this right. week because I think he returns <laughs> and leads in targets. Of course, Claypool, who ha- is getting carries inside the 10-yard line, can still lead in fantasy production. But Deontay Johnson returns to an assured role, whereas Juju Smith-Schuster has disappeared off the map. He still leads the team in routes run, and yet it doesn't matter, especially after last week's two-catch misery uh, uh, in that matchup. So, yeah, it's... It's Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, or the two receivers you're trusting in this matchup as top 20 wideouts. That's how I have them ranked anyways. We can go to Pat to see where he has both. And then Juju Smith-Schuster, it's, um, you know, it's a wide receiver three or flex. Most likely, you would just want him to go off on your bench to have confidence with him and just keep him benched until that time. This can we have an t- intervention? Yeah. <laughs> can we have an intervention, Daigle? Because I, I think we need it. Uh, wh- I don't understand why you're still in on Juju. I understand he's playing a lot of snaps. I understand that he's running a lot of routes, mm-hmm. but I believe his eight, I mean, he's averaging 5.6 targets, less than 40 yards per game. His air yard share is at 12%. His target share stands at 18%, but like his a dot is 4.6. So like um, he's also the type of player who needs to be peppered with targets in order to hit on value and get you fancy points each and every week. That could be, not more different. I mean, it couldn't be more different than what Chase Claypool offers. Like you're, you're talking about a specimen at the wide receiver position who actually can beat man coverage, who can win contested, who doesn't throw a line zone coverage in the slot. Um, it sounds like I'm destroying Juju Smith-Schuster here, but in comparison to Chase Claypool, I don't think there is a comparison. I'm not just because I'm higher on him than you doesn't mean I'm high on him. Like I said, it's, you want him to go off on your bench. And it was only week one. That's not that long ago where he had two touchdowns in this same offense. Danny Amendola season question mark. It is. Very much Danny Amendola. The ranking situation is extraordinarily complex. I've got Deontay Johnson as like the wide receiver 30 to 32. I've got Chase Claypool in like the low 20s. And I've got Juju Smith-Schuster, I believe, wide receiver 30, 31. It's, it's weird. So with Chase Claypool, he got out-targeted by James Washington last week. So we do have to remember that. But when a guy is scoring this many touchdowns and – Maybe they're viewing him as like someone who kind of needs some touches manufactured for him right now, but I mean, they're doing that. And when you give a receiver carries inside like the 10 yard line, two weeks in a row, that's something crazy we need to take notice of. And there's a pretty good chance four targets last week will be like the fewest chase Claypool sees the rest of the season. And Deontay Johnson, I was all over in the beginning of the season, but he had those 23 combined targets in weeks one and two. And he, he did fine with them, but he didn't like explode with them. Like I w- wanted him to do more with all those targets basically. And it, it is weird. It's not case closed by any stretch. Cause he, Chase Kabul again, only had four targets this week. So you can't say this case closed, but when someone puts that kind of upside on film over the past two weeks, like I feel like even whatever, like kind of like the met predictive metrics are saying, uh, yeah, I mean, I just don't believe in numbers, guys. Uh, you you got to give Chase Claypool like some benefit of the doubt there. And Deontay Johnson just kind of wait and see. Not just not just because of the usage, but he's also he's had two different injuries now in the past month, and we just don't quite know what to expect from Deontay Johnson. Hayden, what are the numbers? Uh oh. Yeah, Zombie Hayden is back. Good. My issue with the Steelers right now: they're 25th in pass attempts. They have a below average neutral pass rate. So my issue is: is there enough targets to even go around to support? two receivers right now especially because on the outside you have three receivers battling for two spots because James Washington is playing good enough I think that he's the most likely to go to the bench but there could be some kind of rotation with Chase Claypool James Washington and Deontay Johnson if they kind of want to save Deontay Johnson from a full-time role just because he's been battling so many injuries so 
from my perspective, I think by far the highest upside player is Chase Claypool. I think that Deontay Johnson is a kind of a low A dot receiver like Juju himself. He's not super efficient. He's like got a sub seven yards per target in both of his uh, seasons in the NFL. So I'm going to be ranking Chase Claypool first, but I think I still have him as a wide receiver three because I'm not sold on the usage overall, just because when you have three capable receivers, you have a capable running back and Eric Ebron's, uh, his usage is going up too. There's a lot of mouths to feed for a team that's 25th in pass attempts. And that, I think a lot of that uh, is based off the Steelers defense they, they, I mean, the Steelers are going to be jumping out to big leads and just holding the ball so much because their defense is, if it's not the first best, it's the second best in the NFL. I think it helps that the Titans do rank 24th in pass DVOA. They're 23rd in PFS coverage grades right now. I mean, a lot of their talent, Harold Landry and Jadavion Clowney and, and Simmons are along that defensive line. But if, if they don't get pressure, then there are some up and down moments, obviously, in that secondary Dagle, what are the notes here with the Titans offense? I mean, we know that A.J. Brown has come back and seamlessly fit back into the alpha role of this offense. Even Adam Humphreys got involved last week. What's Johnny Smith's status? Because he's a locked-in top 12 tight end if he does play. I like the over in this game quite a bit because I think these two teams are being priced as defensive teams when they're not that law. Like, sure, Pittsburgh is still playing good defense, but they've been susceptible to splash and explosive plays this year. And we know that's what Tannehill's doing best. Yes, the Titans lost Taylor Luan, which will be an issue if they come out thinking they can run on early downs, even though they've been bad at that this year. But if they put their foot on the gas even just a little bit and allow Ryan Tannehill to continue averaging 10 and a half yards from play action and continue being sterling with seven touchdowns and no interceptions uh, under pressure this year, then I think there can be a lot of points scored in this game, actually. Corey Davis coming back, as you said, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis in the one game they played together this year actually split targets, whereas in these other matchups, the team has been forced to force feed A.J. Brown without any other place to go except Jonu Smith. So between that, between Jonu Smith perhaps being out and Anthony Ferkser being on the field, uh, I do like the Titans offense a lot in this matchup. Hmm. Yeah, a little nervous about this Titans offensive line questions without Terry Lewan, right, Pat? Yes, and I just got to say, A.J. Brown, it's kind of weird that he's been dominating the two games in back, but they attempted 41 passes last week, and he still only got seven of the targets. And that was in a game where Jonu Smith left early, so just still wondering if maybe he's someone you have to really work hard to manufacture the touches for. That's like been the only like negative you could have with this return, and just, just something to watch against a really, really good defense. Yeah, and for mentioning Terry Lewan being out for the Titans, it's also significant that – Pittsburgh's best linebacker, mm-hmm. off-ball linebacker, I should say, and Devin Bush is out against Derrick Henry, and their linebackers are fast. Obviously, the Steelers are. That's why they trade up for Devin Bush. And if, if you slow down at all defensively against Derrick Henry, like what we saw against the Texans, say, guys who run 5-4-3s at linebacker, then we saw what could happen. De- Devin Bush calls the plays on defense, too. That has to mean something. Yeah. Well, it means that he calls the plays. All right. Yeah. Let's keep moving with the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team. Uh, 46 total in this one, which I think at the beginning of the year, Hayden, if we saw a Dallas line uh, of 46, we'd be like, well, the other team's going to score 10 points. But here we are in week seven with the two and four Cowboys, the one and five Washington football team. And I'm even more nervous now about this Dallas offense. I mean, they're on like their eighth and ninth offensive lineman. It's wild. Um, And this Washington defensive line, we have seen just wreck opposition at points this year. It's a total mismatch. 
And I think Dallas is going to have to get the ball out quickly, early, and often in this game. Yeah, their backup left tackle just had surgery. So, and the, this, I mean, this total is low. And this is with teams that are first in offensive pace and fourth in offensive pace. So we're projecting a decent amount of plays here, but the offense has just been so bad that you can't really trust them to actually put up points here. So I think Ezekiel Elliott, of course, he's still like a top five receiver or running back just based off a of volume. We kind of have to decide what are we going to do with Amari Cooper moving forward? What are we going to do with CD Lamb moving forward? Because I think we have. Michael Gallup figured out as like a boom bust, big play threat on the outside, but you can't really trust him as a wide receiver, wide receiver three anymore. What do we do with CD Lamb? What do we do with Amari Cooper? Are they still like wide receiver one and wide receiver two? Or do we have to like move them back like 10, 15 spots just because we can't fully trust Andy Dalton? That's my biggest concern, um, especially with, I mean, Chase Young and some of the other uh, defensive ends that you're going to be working with against backups, backups. Dalton was 5 of 13 for 15 yards under pressure Monday night. And now, as you said, you have Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and these first-round studs coming in. I mean, I am still, wouldn't say high, but I still have faith in the Cowboys offense. We can't give into a island game, a one-game sample with Andy Dalton. But, man, what a bad performance. And more importantly, not even Dalton, like Zeke. What would you say you do here, buddy? Because you're breaking a tackle every 16 carries. You are tied for the league lead in drop passes. You're tied for the league lead in fumbles. And Tony Pollard is picking up blitzes and pass pro at a similar rate. So everything right now with Dallas is just crumbling down. Zeke doesn't even have a 100-yard game rushing yet this season. And the uh, hashtag football team is allowing the seventh fewest uh, fantasy points to running backs. So it's not even like a guaranteed eruption spot. And just, just, we're just talking about the Dallas Cowboys are in a pick em with the Washington football team and how <laughs> sad that is in week seven of this football season. Just real, 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 real sad. And Hayden laid out the Cowboys passing attack, I think, pretty well. But so you basically write Michael Gallup out of fantasy consideration right now, or at least wide receiver three, which, you know, he was barely doing – even when Dak Prescott was on pace to throw for like 1,500 more yards than any quarterback in NFL history. We still saw the volume with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper last week. But, you know, we didn't get Dak levels of production. And I docked them a little bit in the rankings. Amari I mean, Cooper now is like wide receiver 1-2 one, two, two, one, two borderline. I still C.D. is kind of a safe lower-end wide receiver too because I, mean, I think the Cowboys are going to still have to throw a ton. But the targets are just so much lower quality and Andy Dalton can kind of get hot. You know, he's kind of a peaks and valleys player, but you know, this is, this is as old as, he, as he's ever been. You know, it's behind one of the worst <laughs> offensive lines of his career. I, that was a way of saying he's not getting younger because uh, uh, we're all as old as we've ever been uh, today. <laughs> I love that. Uh, on October 22nd, uh, 2020. Anyways. Oh, I love that comment. <laughs> I'm picking Washington. I don't know if anyone's with me, but I'm picking Washington and it's not because I have any faith in Kyle Allen. I'm not. Even, I don't even have faith in like Scott Turner right now. Um, the way he's using J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson out of that backfield and not being able to force passes to to Terry McLaurin. But man, I, I mean, I have no faith in Dallas's defense at any level of the field. And just the comments that have come out this week already <laughs> at two and four, and week seven of of an NFL season, it is unbelievable. And zoom out for a second, right? Mike McCarthy is not in charge of the offense because that's Cullen Moore. He's not in charge of the defense because that's Mike Nolan. So you asked, what are you here for, Ezekiel Elliott? What are you here for, Mike McCarthy? Like, what do you what do you do? 
to, to be fair, this isn't McCarthy's fault, right? Like the offensive line went from a top 10 unit to literally the worst in the league. They have a league low in fumble luck. Every ball they drop goes into the opposing defender's hand, which is complete luck. And then, of course, the offense was great until Dak went down. So I don't think this is McCarthy's well, fault. Well, the defense was allowed the fifth most points in NFL history through six games, by the way. So it's not well, even just like a normal bad defense. And if you read the quotes, everyone on the I'll team. Read them. I yeah, got him right okay, here. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, totally, totally unprepared were the words of one player. Is when I put in our blurb, they don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. And then another added, they just aren't good at their jobs. And then so I again, said, my quip. Other than that, we hope things are going well. Right. So again, like if Mike McCarthy doesn't have to worry about the offense during the week, doesn't have to worry about the defense during the week, he should be worrying about like people improving. He should be worried about coaching. He should be worrying about all these things. And he can't even do that. It, it's on track, Daigle, where if they, I don't know, go four and 12, what is the coaching scenario next year? I think it's a lot more questionable now than it needs to be and should be at this point in the season. My argument would be is that the organization is a treadmill. They're running in place. So even if you fire McCarthy, it doesn't matter because the problems stem from the top down. Yes. The players still get their contracts even when they underperform. So this isn't a McCarthy issue. To me, it's a Jerry Jones issue, but that's for the Thursday pod with Pat and Diddy one time. This is not a preview pod conversation. Well, but but the guy where the problems are stemming down from is also the one that's making up decisions and, and paying those checks, right? So if he doesn't think it's going the way he wants it to, then he's going to change it. And he has North all Turner's, the money in the world. We'll see you next year, North Turner. It's going to be one and done. And after all the conservative hires, he's going to finally do it. It's going to be Lincoln Riley for the Dallas Cowboys next year. Jerry's finally going to give in to his impulses and make a splash hire. Uh so this team sucks. That's the point. The other thing is Washington, Terry McLaurin, you're of course running out there as a potential top one wide receiver against this defense. And if Kenyon Drake can get right against this defense, what do you think Antonio Gibson's going to do? Who's still getting the carries inside the 10 yard line, at least over McKissick in splitting snaps. So I still like Gibson as an RB two this week, actually. Let's go to the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals. A total of 56 and a half. Seahawks coming off a bye are five and zero oh, and three and a half point favorites here against the four and two Arizona Cardinals. Hayden, we talked about it. Pat, myself, Danny did on the previous episode of the show. Let Russ cook is you know this phrase that has taken over the football vocabulary this season. But in reality, it isn't about throwing more. It's about throwing at the right times and on early downs, correct? Yes, and to elite players, and that's what they have with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Of course, it's a great spot. You have a very fast-paced offense on the on the other side, so I think that you're going to see a decent amount of plays for the Seahawks this year, and they've been so efficient. I will say the one thing, they have an 89% red zone conversion rate into touchdowns. That is like out, outside of like any uh, possibility of, of keeping up. Um, but I mean, still, I mean, the Seahawks are going to be one of the top offenses every single week. They have the second projected points here. So I think um, if there's a takeaway for me, it's Chris Carson probably has grown out of like RB2 range and into RB1s just because you have some injuries. And he's so involved as a pass catcher, getting the goal line work. And it, of course, just runs like crazy between the tackles. So I think that he's going to be inside my top 10 for most weeks moving forward. And I think beforehand, he was like closer to RB12, RB15. 
No, I was just saying, uh, Lockett went into the bye on one of those stretches he normally has with just a 14% target share the past two games, whereas DK went in with a season-high 36% target share in his last game and 27% over the last two. Having said that, Cardinals have actually stopped deep passes against opposing offenses, and so you think it would actually make sense that it's more of a Lockett game than a Metcalf game, although you're clearly starting both. It is, the Cardinals have, it was really flown under the radar, had a very effective pass defense, and Chandler Jones is now gone. It didn't make a difference against Andy Dalton, but definitely something to monitor. Like, is the Cardinals' pass defense going to be overachieving all season? And the two points of the Seahawks offense, Hayden made a great point. So Chris Carson, uh, he, he is moving into RB1 territory, and it, it's interesting because he's doing it in much different ways than he did in the past, where in the past he was all about early down workload. That was always the fantasy case for Chris Carson. Whereas now some weeks it's pass catching, some weeks it's having eight or nine carries, but finishing drives near the goal line. And he can get RB1 numbers even when he's only getting like 10 to 12 carries. So it's become a very interesting proposition for fantasy. And DK Metcalf, I wrote, like if he was going to keep getting over 90 yards, he's going to have to be drawing more than six to eight targets per game. And he finally did that for the bye, or as John said, where he had 11 targets, a 37% target share. And that number has gone up each the past two weeks. And that would be a huge development for fantasy where it, if DK Metcalf kind of gets out of like the seven to eight target range into the more nine to 10 target range, uh, he, he would probably, he'd be the the, lead, the leader in the clubhouse for being the, the wide receiver one overall, like on a rankings basis. Yeah. And while we don't have any questions about the Seahawks offense, we have major questions about the Seahawks defense and they haven't tried to improve it at all. While other teams who are still already good at defense are, are improving across the league uh, at times and trying to acquire players. Um, I mean, now they're facing the Arizona Cardinals, a team that has obviously DeAndre Hopkins, who one of the best wide receivers in football. And also when Kyler Murray runs the football, Hayden, it's one of the best outcomes in the entire NFL right now. And trying to stop that without your line of scrimmage hero in Jamal Adams that you brought in this offseason, that is going to be a, a difficult dilemma for this Seahawks defense. And your run stuffing first round linebacker. There's some other uh, injuries as well. So they're still banged up. You've got to keep track of the injury report because eventually the Seahawks are going to get healthier and they're not going to be playing like the worst defense in the league. What's crazy about the Cardinals offense, they're second in rushing EPA efficiency. And that's despite all the struggles that Kenyon Drake's been having outside of last week. That's because Kyler just does so much himself. And that's been saving him because his passing still kind of up and down. I mean, even last week, he hit on a couple long bombs. I think he completed like nine or ten passes. He so did nine passes. That, that's crazy. We should expect the Cardinals to pass more than they probably have all season this week just because they're going to be chasing points, I think. And the Card- or the, the Seahawks defense, they've just been giving up the most pass attempts in the league by like 10 or 15 compared to even second place. So I think that – of course, DeAndre Hopkins is a locked-in wide receiver one, maybe like the number one wide receiver for this week. And I think that Christian Kirk is boom-bust just because they're using him as a deep threat. But I think I'm uh, more inclined to move him into like wide receiver three flex territory. And previously, I have had him ranked as like a wide receiver four, wide receiver five, just because all of his routes are on the outside. Most of his routes are 20-plus yards downfield as well. So he is a boom-bust, but I think this is an opportunity to get a boom in for Christian Kirk as well. 
And the good thing is his target share has increased to 17% since he returned from injury in week four. Even if Kyler is forced to throw, you would think he still gets it done on the ground. As you talked about, the QB4 last week against the Cowboys, despite completing only nine passes. And that's because of the Konami code, 10 carries for a touchdown. And Seattle, what have they done besides allowing yards to opposing wide receivers? They've allowed the fourth most rushing fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. So either way, it just seems like a terrific spot, as it always is for Kyler. We'll move on. on. Josh, I think we need to talk about Kenyon Drake just because he was training towards like wider or RB two, three range. And then last week he obviously had the huge week uh, buoyed by that long run. I still kind of have some, some fears because he's only seen one target per game. He's not even playing on passing down. That's chase Edmonds role. So I think that we can't get over, like put too much weight into last week's performance. I think he's still like a, mid-range, low-end RB2 compared to – I think some people are going to go back and say, now he's back, he's like a top 12 fantasy running back. I would be uh, betting against that just because he's still not seeing any passing game work. He's not back, but Chase Edmonds is still the better running back. The thing is, you're, it's just speculatory. We're only waiting for Chase Edmonds to take the backfield over. He only had six touches this past week, so maybe it just doesn't happen, honestly. Pat, where do you have Drake this week? Like RB eighteen to twenty range, but I, yeah, basically last week this earned him another week of holding pattern. I completely agree with it because he was you know spectacularly failing the eye test. And the, people were tweeting about how bad Kenyon Drake looked in the first half, uh, myself included. And you know his biggest play of the game was they were just trying to run out clock, and the Cowboys' horrible defense springs him for a sixty-nine yard touchdown. So all it really did was like buy him another week because uh, the long-term trends still look uh, very discouraging with Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I, I agree with all the criticism. It's just shocking that he's top five in the NFL in rushing right now, despite all that criticism. But, you know, those are the type of vanilla stats that you can kind of throw out the window. Unless unless like that was the turning point, unless that was the turning point and we get more good moving forward. Well, his okay. his mom called him out. He said that, he, uh, that, is that true. Kenyon Drake was not hitting the holes hard enough and he was running horizontally instead of upfield. So maybe his mom, we could thank if he becomes a top 12 running back again. She's they, true. She was right. Daigle, maybe yours should call for uh, your lunch bets. Miss <laughs> uh, Daigle, I don't know if she knows how poorly we're doing right now. All right, we'll move on to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. A small total of 46, I believe I saw in this game with the Chiefs nine and a half point favorites. We know they are five and one. Pat, we've seen a little bit of a different Chiefs offense this season from like a big picture standpoint. I think we will continue to see the Chiefs run the football. And the question is why? It's not just because, you know, they spent a first-round pick on Clyde edwards Elair. It's not because they just added Le'Veon Bell. It's it's because what the defense is giving them. I and mean, we've seen a lot more two safety looks in the deeper portions of the field that has cut out the vertical passing a little bit. And Andy Reid is just going to count the numbers in the box and say, okay, you're going to let us run four, five, six, seven, 20-yard chunks with these great running backs that we have. We're going to do that a little more often. It might not be as exciting as we saw this Chiefs offense do it last year, but I really t- trust this this Chiefs team in their current iteration, obviously. Yeah, I follow a writer, Hayden Winks, who tweeted this week about how many two safety, two high safety looks the Chiefs have been seeing. And, you know, that kind of the, the Broncos this year, they're trying to keep everything in front, trying to limit the big plays. That That's like their normal philosophy. Now that is like the approach that everyone is taking. It's the Chiefs. Uh, so it is a concern for the Chiefs passing game. I mean, uh, Tyreek Hill hasn't even cleared three catches since week three. It doesn't have a hundred yard game all season. Uh, just saw Nicole Hardman completely bust in a game where Sammy Watkins wasn't even playing. And yeah, I mean, the Broncos have only allowed seven passing touchdowns in five games. Uh, 
And so you know, the Chiefs, do they just add Le'Veon Bell? Clyde Edwards Hilaire just coming off the fifth highest rushing output of any running back all season. Uh, on paper, it certainly looks like another week where the Chiefs will lean on the run. But with that being said, Patrick Mahomes still has at least two passing touchdowns every game. I uh, still he's rushing. I think he's had at least twenty rushing yards each of the past five weeks. So kind of sneakily supplementing the decreased passing output with uh, more rushing than maybe people realize. And uh, we we know. I mean, at some point, this is this is going to blow up again. And the, the Broncos defense has been playing very well, but it is much shorter on star power than usual this year too. And p- despite everything I just said, Patrick Mahomes never leaves the top five at quarterback. The floor has not gone anywhere. He's not having like any. You know, again, he's scoring two touchdowns every week. And the ceiling, like, it will hit, uh, and it could hit this week. And as both of you have mentioned, it's the same for Tyreek Hill in the top five. He doesn't leave. He's only eclipsed 100 yards in three games since last year, uh, including the Super Bowl. But you know in one game he could win you your entire week. So that's why you just have to take the floor, which he's become a floor player, and then just keep on starting him. It's weird with Tyreek Hill. Since his hamstring injury in Mexico City against the Chargers last year, he is, I don't think he had a single 100-yard game in the regular season, and this hasn't been seemingly quite – I'm assuming he's over his hamstring injury from, like, last November. But just it's a weird like a weird endpoint that since then he's not had any ceiling weeks in regular season fantasy. Peyton, is there anything else to say about this Chiefs offense? We have to talk for about five minutes about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell. So. Do it. The coaching staff kind of had a couple comments, um, the offensive coordinator and Andy Reid and kind of Le'Veon Bell himself and some reporters. And I think what's happening is, and we saw this with Leonard Fournette, is maybe he doesn't know the playbook enough for this week to fully trust. I think I'm going to have him like as an RB3, and I'm going to keep Clyde Edwards-Hilaire inside my top 15 rankings for this week just because I don't think that Le'Veon Bell is going to have a full workload. Of course, he's going to mix in. And maybe he mixes into the goal line role and you can luck into like a top 25 uh, fantasy running back performance out of Le'Veon Bell. But I think I would keep Le'Veon Bell on my bench unless I had a really uh, poor option behind him. And I would keep Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as like a high upside, high end RB2 just for one more week. And then we can really have the Le'Veon Bell, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire debate because I think he's just not going to know enough of the plays. And this is kind of a offense where you see Andy Reid so much of it is like very detailed screen game the the rushing attack is different as well so I think that this could be a situation where it takes Le'Veon Bell at least one more week of practicing before he's like fully unleashed I I'm in total alignment I wrote in several blurbs that like when I was looking forward this week that Clyde Edwards Hilaire will be like in the RB 20 to 28 range and then when I sat down to rank this week that just wasn't the reality he is still a top 15 back for this week uh the, the, the Broncos are bottom three and running back fantasy points a lot. I don't quite know what the context is there, like who they faced or what the game flow was. So they haven't been giving up a ton of fantasy points uh, to running backs. But just you know, looking at this week's landscape, uh, it was impossible to keep Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the top 15. I will have the same spin on Friday's DFS 6 p.m. Eastern show. Shout out to us, because if Le'Veon Bell is active – all the chips are going in on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because I just don't think Le'Veon Bell matters for this week. And that show was Building Blocks. You can check it out on the NBC Sports YouTube page and at twitch.tv slash Rotoworld, I believe. Um, Let's talk about the Broncos. Hayden, what did you see when you watched Drew Locke last week against the New England Patriots, an upset of the Patriots? He was trying to throw deep, (laughs) and it was, I mean, to his own detriment. I mean, one, 
the Broncos had absolutely zero four-point plays. And what I mean by that is, I mean, they settled for six field goals rather than converting any third downs. And that resulted in 18 points. But then Drew Locke, with five minutes to go, this Broncos team was up 18-9, to nine, and he goes out there with less than five minutes in the fourth quarter against the Bill Belichick-led Patriots and throws two ridiculous interceptions. Like, he just had, had, a, had a meltdown. And that cannot happen this week against the Chiefs. You have to be converting third downs, and you cannot have any turnovers. It's in Drew Locke's DNA to just go full send down the field. And I think that the Broncos offense isn't good enough right now to like play sustained drive football. So I don't even think it's the worst idea to just like keep trying to take deep shots because I don't think that they're the type of team right now to have like a 10, a 12 play touchdown drive. Uh, I think the missing ingredient here is Noah Fant. Um, he obviously has a ton of potential and he, I think that one of the best uh, seam stretchers in the NFL already, he's just so athletic so I think that for this offense to have any success long-term, they need a, a healthy Noah fan. But for this week, they're uh, 27th out of 28 teams in projected points, only at 18 and a half points. So um, if Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon are active, uh, I don't know if you can start either of them. I don't know if you can start Jerry Judy outside of like a wide receiver four. And Tim Patrick actually has been leading the team in fantasy usage recently. I don't think you can start him. So I'm not sure if there's any – starter here in like a 10 team fantasy league i th- i think tim patrick is borderline wide receiver four uh he's the number one receiver on this team a 29 target share the past two games also getting air yards since drew lock tries to hit a satellite in orbit every single time he throws <laughs> the ball so yeah i i actually think tim patrick's kind of legit yeah i have tim patrick in the top 40 just back to back 100 yard games right and he's i think he's out targeted Jerry Judy 15 to nine over the past two weeks. The targets have to go somewhere, especially if Noah Fant is not there. And Hayden, I wish I could agree that like you don't want to play Melvin Gordon or Phillip Lindsay, but running back is just so bad right now. And the Broncos half like just have no choice but to run that I think uh, Mel and Phillip Lindsay are still very flex viable and probably both about the floor of I'd say 10 to 12 touches. For whatever it's worth, probably nothing. They have played three drives together this year, and Philip Lindsay outtouched Melvin Gordon seven to six. There we go. All right, we got twenty minutes left. Four games to hit. I know we can do it. I believe in all of you. This one can. Oh, this is a long one today. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars Chargers, forty nine total. Yeah. Jaguars are one and five. Chargers are one and four. Uh, Both teams have one win, but Pat, the conversation around both teams could not be more different. Why? And it's because it's the quarterbacks. The more you watch Gardner Minshew, the less you believe in him. And while, you know, Justin Herbert is not converting this into wins every single week, he does a handful of things. You're like, oh, yeah, that's really freaking good. It's true. And the conversation could be even different with Justin Herbert because, like, the fantasy community, we're accepting that Justin Herbert, you know, he was kind of a divisive prospect. I thought he was just an extremely conservative quarterback based on the way Oregon used him. And I, I thought like when he did have to uncork a deep ball, he was like kind of the classic, like why did Justin Herbert just throw that ball out of the back of the end zone? That was like, you have a big arm, but that was really weird and unnecessary. And he's just been just completely different than the player I was expecting. And, but he could have even more success as we've all tweeted about and talked about and complained about if the chargers would, you know, just call a modern offense and weren't, running so much on first and second down and Justin Herbert's having these great passing performances and these solid fantasy days with an offense that's being called like this in an archaic fashion. And we would love to see the chargers coming off by 
I mean, it's not going to happen. You have a running backs coach as your head coach, but we'd just love to see them calling, you know, like more, not that they're going to be the Seahawks, but more of a Seahawks style uh, where you, you got to pass on first and second down. And they should have a win, but Money Badger on that game against the Saints was all but when he went to kick the game-winning field goal. So not Justin Herbert's fault at all. My concern with Justin Herbert this week is that will they need to pass whatsoever against this defense that is getting worse every single week? Negative 60-point differential in the past four games. Even with Henderson and Josh Allen back last week, they still couldn't stop the Lions on the ground. So perhaps we just see a Justin Jackson game since he was used like Austin Eckler and 20 touches to Josh Kelly's 12 and six targets to Kelly's one against the Saints and perhaps Josh Kelly because remember his role was probably never going to work against this tough Saints front seven we're attacking their secondary not the linebackers but in this game against the Jaguars of course they can lean on Kelly who's still getting the touches inside the 10 as well so I like both players at what point is Keelan Cole fantasy relevant? I mean, he's, you know, above LaVisca Chenault right now, whose A dot is minimal. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah. he's he's so good after the catch, but it doesn't necessarily help when you're catching the ball four yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's kind of ridiculous. And DJ Chark, I mean, they keep trying to throw downfield to him, Hayden. But I mean, Gardner Minshew's vertical arm is is awful. It's it's just like throwing pillows out there and it's like trying to parachute down. I mean, it's it again, I I said at the top. I like Gardner Minshew. I think Gardner Minshew is going to be in the league for a very long time, but he's not elevating people necessarily. He's not nearly as accurate or with his decision-making, it seems like, as he was last year. And it's kind of all adding up to just an, a, a team I don't want to watch on a weekly basis at all. The saving grace is their fourth in pass attempts per game, and DJ Chark's actually fifth in air yards per game over the last four weeks. I think he's an awesome buy-low candidate just because he is getting involved when he's been healthy and I think that if you're talking about Keelan Cole, he places or he faces uh, Desmond King in the slot this week. I don't think that you want to be trusting that. I think that the the offense is going to be bad. Uh, I think that there's DJ Chark. Maybe you can get some LaVisca Chenault eventually. But like you said, they have to use him more than a gadget receiver. And I think that he can be more than a gadget player. Um, when he was uh, being thrown the ball deep in college, he was converting a lot of them. So I hope that they do get him more involved outside of like five yards behind the line of scrimmage. But until then, he's still like a wide receiver four. I think that DJ Chark, he's, I would be playing him in season-long formats. And then the last note I have on the Jaguars is James Robinson, his touch share when the Jaguars have a lead is at 40%. When they're trailing, it drops all the way down to 24%. He's still losing some snaps to uh, Chris Thompson and their seven and a half point uh, underdogs this week. So I think that James Robinson should probably be treated as like a mid-range to low-end RB2. And I think some weeks we've been kind of uh, placing him inside like the top 15 running backs. I don't think that would be the case this week. All right, we got to move on from this game. We got to keep going. San Francisco 49ers, New England Patriots, uh, 43 and a half total in this one, tiny. And it makes sense after you watch what the Patriots did last week against the Broncos, even though they're two-point favorites in this game. Again, flashing red signals, taking 49ers in this one. And I said it prior to Cam missing a game due to COVID. Um, I believe it was either before or after that, that Raiders contest. I mean, this offense just looks difficult. Nothing mm. is easy. Everything is, is manufactured. They, they just don't have enough playmakers to do it. It takes so much effort. And then when your quarterback 
can't create the plays and is holding on the football too long and isn't having these explosive runs and just looks uncomfortable, it, it's going to be bad. It was bad this week, Daigle, and I think it's going to be bad this week. Cam Newton still finishes the QB 11 on the week because of those 10 carries. So you're still playing him, but you genuinely don't trust anyone else with them. Even Julian Edelman has fallen by the wayside this past month of the season. And it could be because he's banged up. I don't know, but we haven't seen a good game from him since that Seahawks Sunday night game. I mean, we haven't seen a good game from the Patriots since then either, but you can still keep playing Cam Newton. And really uh, it's James White who hasn't practiced yet this week. And perhaps no one else, honestly. That's it. I was, was going to say, I think uh, this. I think the Patriots will win this game. Just Jimmy Garoppolo, we yeah. saw him kind of bounce back last week, but now where he mustered out again, and so there's going to be a lot on Jimmy Garoppolo's plate, you know, against the coach uh, who knows him quite well, and Bill Belichick. And we know that the more Jimmy Garoppolo has to do, uh, the worse that usually turns out for the 49ers. And it, it, the ex, there's just yeah. Josh, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, just wh- where is what makes life easier for Cam Newton in the passing game? And well, I mean, the answer is nothing. When trying like a pivotal drive to score a touchdown to take the lead against the Broncos, they called two passing plays for Julian Adelman. Like there is just nothing that this Patriots team can do right now. And if Cam Newton doesn't play perfectly, they're going to be bad. And I-, I think you start hearing that narrative more and more and more as we move forward. But it's been evident in his last two starts as well. Uh, Hayden, I do want to ask you about this 49ers team. It's basically back at full strength, at least from a skill position standpoint, except for Raheem Mostert. So I guess we want to talk about that backfield. How do you think that that's going to uh, fall out here? In the two games without Raheem Mostert, Jarek McKinnon had 16.2 and 18 expected fantasy points. He's a very high usage player when Raheem Mostert's been out. The question becomes, is Jermichael Hasty going to actually split some work because he has looked pretty good on tape? But 100% of his uh, touches came in garbage time last week. I would be kind of nervous to play um, Jermichael Hasty. Diggle, do you have any uh, thoughts? I know you wrote up the waiver column. And Jeff Wilson was inactive last week whenever Jermichael Hasty got his touches. So that's why I still think Jeff Wilson, if he plays this week, is inserted over Hasty. And McKinnon, there is speculation that since he handled that career high 92% of the team snaps, he's averaged three yards per touch the past two games. And so if this is a hot hand backfield, there's been some beat reporter speculation that maybe McKinnon isn't the hot hand because he's just tired right now and needs rest. So even though he'll, he could get the start and I would expect him to, maybe they still do lean on hasty in this situation if McKinnon isn't moving the ball. So it's just a, it's a, there are a lot of moving pieces here, to be honest. It's, it's hasty season. Cause I think the beat writer speculation is right. And the, they've maybe have determined that Jarek McKinnon, his legs will not stay fresh if they're using him on early downs. And you know, he was never an explosive early down player, not even in Minnesota. And that was like three ACLs ago. And I just wouldn't be surprised if they've reached the determination that they cannot overexpose Jarek McKinnon on early downs. We will move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Las Vegas Raiders, the John Gruden Bowl. Some might call it a 52 total. The Bucs are four and two and four point favorites against the three and two Raiders. I look at this team, Hayden, in the Bucs. I see a complete football team. They're getting healthier in offense. I do wonder, though, because we've talked about it with the Raiders. You know, they are incredibly predictable to Josh Jacobs, to Darren Waller. Then we saw Henry Ruggs come back as expected and add an explosive, flashy element to the offense. I bet we see more of week one, Henry Ruggs, of those manufactured touches moving forward than we did in their past game. But I also wonder 
how much the loss of Vita Vea on the Bucks defensive line is going to show up this week. It really didn't show up last week in that win over the Packers. But, you know, we don't just go and say, oh, week one, it's not going to matter anymore uh, because Josh Jacobs and, and the offensive line, which is not in the organization right now for the Las Vegas Rangers, which is a whole other story in itself. Lots of storylines colliding here, Hayden. Well, the Bucks, even without Vita Vea, they have the Donican Sue and a stud linebacker group as well. And they've been limiting opposing running backs to the second fewest carries. So not only are they really good, like in terms of efficiency, they're actually first in rushing EPA. They're also second fewest in uh, carries allowed. And that's a really good stat to look at. So I think Josh Jacobs is, is kind of like a lower floor RB one, two than a locked in like top eight fantasy running back. And this is one of the only secondaries that can actually match Henry Ruggs. Um, in tr- terms of corner cornerback 40 times, they have two really fast outside corners. So I think that Henry Ruggs is going to be a boom bust player like he always is, unless he gets these manufactured touches. Um, this is kind of a, a game where you are going to be worried about basically every single Las Vegas Raider outside of Darren Waller. So I think that's what I'm going with this week. Yeah, as I say, the Bucks are still going to look like they have Vita Vea this week. I mean, Trent Brown has coronavirus. Uh, the Bucks, like you said, dominated Aaron Rodgers last week. Josh, you said the Bucks have looked like a complete team. The only thing I'll say is a complete team without explosive plays in the passing game. Not that Tom Brady has looked washed, but has not been many explosive plays in the passing game. And hopefully that's just because Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have not been healthy at the same time. And hopefully they can finally both stay healthy and fully unlocking uh, this passing offense. Let's dive up for a second into that offensive line conversation because you mentioned it. Trent Brown is on the COVID list and he had just returned and he, you know, is one of the best right tackles in football when playing. And obviously this Raiders style needs that level of blocking, but also they sent the entire offensive line home because <laughs> of contact tracing and they're in rooms together. And now they're also being reviewed for protocols and following them of, of if these offensive line were wearing masks together. I mean, Daigle, it might get to a point where the Raiders are like without an offensive line in this game. I mean, this was a possibility heading into it. Like, oh, what if an entire position group misses a contest because they're so close knit in these team meetings? And it could happen here. With, I'm, I'm, I mean, again, we're recording this on a Thursday. But if something's going to happen to this Raiders team where the, where the core of the offense is that blocking an offensive line, the running and passing game, this four, I grab it as quickly as I can with the Buck side. The new protocols as well that were released after the Nashville breakout were five days, I believe, you have to be positive before you return. So it's going to be cutting it really close. The thing is, they still fielded an offensive line at practice with all their backups. So they'll have an offensive line. It just may not be very good. And against what just crushed the Packers' respectful offensive line, it could be a disaster for the Raiders. It's not that hard. Just put on the mask, guys. Come on. Doing yeah. it better than John Gruden, to be honest. Yeah, I know. Oh, this is a, too small, by the way. My mom got me this because it's the Cardinals. The Mike McCarthy mask, yeah. I usually wear a surgical mask, but just wear the mask. Just, and vote. Wear a mask and vote. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, on the Buck side, though, we I mean, we have to talk about Mike Evans because in the three games Chris Godwin has played, not only an 11% target share, but 10 targets for 14 yards. That is not a misspeak. That is a disaster is what it is, living off of touchdowns in that span. I know last week was against Jair Alexander, so perhaps that was it, but you still have to be worried and still rank and value Chris Godwin higher for the rest of the season. Call me crazy, Hayden, but at 4-2 – 
with questioning like, oh, can Mike Evans turn around this year? Chris, can Chris Godwin get healthy? Those are questions I'm okay with having right now, you know, in week seven. Then later on this, like I, I trust good players to be good later in this year when, when they need them. And, and that's why I'm all in on the Bucks right now. Yeah, Pat, where do you have Ronald Jones ranked, by the way? Like an RB. Seven or eight, man. Like he's he's living it. And like this is not going to be a week for Leonard Fournette to come in because it's not going to be a close game, I don't think. So I think just let Rojo cook, you know, just let Rojo cook. That's what all, all anyone's ever wanted. Imagine drafting Fournette in the third round. <laughs> yeah, imagine it. All right. We'll close out with the Chicago Bears and the Los Angeles Rams. Hey, Winks, we know that the Bears are five and one. Vegas doesn't believe in them. I don't think I believe in them either because they are six-point dogs here on the road against the Rams who were supposed to bully the 49ers last week and absolutely did not do that at all. How do you see this game playing out? Well, the conservative approach continues for the Rams, and I think the Bears, um, of course, were very nervous about Khalil Mack and how much pressure the Bears have been getting, but Jared Goff's only been sacked seven times all year because they're using motion a lot. They're getting the ball out very quick. The Their average depth of target is low. So I don't think that there's going to be many explosive plays from either team because the Rams defense has also been pretty good, especially against the pass. So I think that it's Allen Robinson. It is uh, Robert Robert Woods and, and um, of course, uh, Cooper Cup. And outside of that, I don't think there's another receiver that you're using. I don't think that there's a, a tight end. Maybe you can flirt with Jimmy Graham, but I think that the, these passing totals are going to be pretty low this week. I was say, I'm surprised the six points. Uh, the Bears passed events. They've allowed four passing touchdowns in six games. Uh, quarterbacks completing 57% of their passes against the Bears. It's going to be like a nightmare week for Jared Goff, and it's going to be all on Daryl Henderson this week or all on behind the, the line of scrimmage touches for the Rams receivers uh, for the Rams to get their points. Chemistry uh, a tad off in week seven. Uh, I still think this is Daryl Henderson's backfield, no matter what anyone thinks. I understand Sean McVay came out and said increased workload perhaps for Cam Akers, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Henderson has handled nine of the team's carries inside the 10-yard line the last three games. He's seen all seven carries for the Rams inside the five-yard line since week two, and there have been uh, odd circumstances that have popped up that decreased his touch total in the two games prior to last week. Remember, they got a big lead, and then also uh, Malcolm Brown randomly involved after Daryl Henderson's explosive game. So this is Daryl Henderson's backfield. I still have complete faith in him. In a game, I think the Rams win big in. Yep, I agree. Um, we're all having our Mike McCarthy moment here in week seven, by the way. All right, let's get out of here before something else happens. Uh, again, we'll be back. Well, first, Daigle and Hayden will be back on Friday for Building Blocks. You can check that out on the YouTube and Twitch. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday for Roto World Live, served by Applebee's, noon Eastern, Periscope, Twitch, YouTube, all that good stuff, 45 minutes, helping you set your perfect lineups, recap show that night, and then back for the Waiver podcast on Tuesday morning. Go and read these guys' columns. Go and read Pat's rankings. They do wonderful work and work hard. All right. For John Dakel, for Hayden Winks, for Patrick Doherty, I am Josh Norris. Up the Villa, they play on Friday, going to 5-0. and oh. Talk <sighs> to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.